10 hours a day. Six days a week. Whenever I'm needed. Every Saturday morning. I spend my time. In a place that matters to God. With people that matter to God. My front line. In the stresses. Successes. Problem solving. Tantrum resolving. <laughs> Laughter. Teamwork. Jokes. Tears. Boredom. Tension. Cups of coffee. Cans of coke. God is working with me. He helps me see what he sees. Put here by God. He knows the day ahead. This place is rich with possibilities. This is my front line. This is my front line. I'm not sure if you've considered your job or whatever fills your Monday to Saturday as a, a place full of possibilities and encounters. Our front lines, our working lives have certainly changed this year. The centre of gravity of, of the entire workforce of the country has shifted. Graphs will never be the same again. Thousands were fur furloughed back in spring. Unemployment has sharply risen to 4.5%. That's even higher among the younger ages. And some of us have already or uh, will face redundancy as, as, as a result of the pandemic. The way we work has changed too, with many of us working from home every single day. At the height of the pandemic, it is estimated that over 60% of us were working from, from home. And others have had to make significant adjustments to their working arrangements with perspex screens and continual mask wearing and wiping down every surface known to man. And all of this has affected the mental health of our workforce. One in five remote workers have said they struggle with loneliness and isolation. Health workers are experiencing more stress than ever before. Even before the virus, the most recent labour force survey recorded almost half a million cases of work-related stress, depression or anxiety in one year. There doesn't seem to be anything attractive about the world of work right now. But in every country, in every culture, in every society in the world, people are working. But why do we work like we do? Is it simply to make money? Is there anything wrong with wanting to be successful in our careers? Why do we all work so hard in our healthy years, hoping to get a great pension, but by the time we get there, we're too old to enjoy it? And it's all these sorts of questions that the teacher added to his list of issues as he considered the meaning of life as recorded in the book of Ecclesiastes. Alongside questions about pleasure and wealth and status, the idea of toil and our work is one of the key subjects of his study. This is a tough book, but it helps us 
because it makes us ask the big questions about life. Isn't God kind that he makes space for our questions? He, he allows us time to work through these things in the context of our faith and our knowledge of him. Jim introduced the book to us last week. And if you missed it, I'd encourage you to catch it up, uh, catch it online on our website. He considered the overall concept of the meaning of life and took us through the structure of the book. And there's even a, a reading plan available online too. And just before those of you who aren't in paid employment think this message is irrelevant to them, we should extend this concept of work to voluntary work, to working towards exams, to those who work as a result of their caring responsibilities, and to those who exert effort and to graft away on a whole host of different activities. I'm conscious too that for some Work is difficult to find right now. You'd love to be out earning again. And of course, there are others uh, who uh, work right now is bringing a particular anxiety or concern. Our prayer as elders and as a church family is that you, can tr- is that you trust God to strengthen your back or lighten your load. And we'd encourage you to speak to any of us if you'd want us to to reach out and to help or to pray for you in any particular way. So as we consider in the next few minutes how to find meaning in our working lives, I want to break it up this way. First, let's consider the problem with work identified by the writer of Ecclesiastes. And then we'll look at it from an eternal perspective. And as we do, we'll take, take a look at a few other portions of the Bible. And we'll see how we can make our work really work for the Lord. Let's read some verses in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 to see the extent of the problems our writer found, starting at verse 18. I hated all my toil, in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be a wise or a fool. Yet he will be master of all for which I have toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labours under the sun. Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What is a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. 
These verses come in a section of the, the book where the teacher, who many believe to be Solomon, explored a whole host of activities and pursuits to discover the point of life. He observed everything under the sun, everything that is in the here and now, everything in the material world, essentially living in existence without God. And each time he writes his assessment, it is hevel, utterly hevel. Most Bibles translate this Hebrew word as meaningless or vanity. Hevel in the Hebrew literally means vapour or smoke. The Bible, the Bible project explains the word in two ways. First of all, how life is temporary or, or fleeting, like the wisp of smoke. And then secondly, how life is an enigma or a, a paradox. Like smoke, it appears to be a solid, but when you try and grab it, there's nothing there. The teacher's view on wealth and wisdom and work is that it is both fleeting and temporary, but it's also an enigma, like the pursuit of happiness makes you unhappy. Ecclesiastes brilliantly captures the toil and the joy, the fleeting success and the unanswered questions that we all experience in our work. The teacher is a, a realistic observer who reports the ups and downs of work as he encounters it. He expresses his dismay that work isn't all as cracked up to be. Death looms on the horizon for workers. Maybe it's the same for uh, the threat, the imminent threat of cutbacks or redundancy. It all seems so meaningless. The teacher says that all their days are grief and pain. Even at night, their minds do not rest. This was written thousands of years ago, and yet it sounds so contemporary. When Steve Jobs, the co-founder of Apple, died in 2011 at the age of 56, it was reported that his net worth was $10.2 billion. Regardless of how much he had worked, how self-made he was, he was to leave all his wealth to another who had not toiled for it. In a speech he made at Stanford University six years before his death, he stated that death was the single best invention of life because it forces us to change. It keeps us on our toes. And sure, the reality of death can help us reevaluate re our lives and our priorities, but you just can't get away from the fact that death is still bitter. No matter how hard we work, it only accounts for so much. And what we have for a brief moment is taken away and given to someone else. If all you see is what life is, then doesn't it seem so pointless? If the teacher is indeed right that life is meaningless under the sun, then no wonder that those who see nothing beyond this life see Monday morning as a complete drag and they yearn for the big lottery win that will put an end to their working lives. And so if there's nothing to be gained by work according to the teacher's initial finding, then it begs the question, why do we do it? There's one verse at the end of this portion that we read where we get a glimmer of hope 
Because up until now, I haven't mentioned, nor has the teacher said anything about God in the context of work. In verse 26, we find the work of God in our circumstances. It says, for the one, sorry, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Like everyone, God's followers still face hard work and effort. But with God, we see that there's at least some satisfaction in their toil. This verse says we can receive wisdom and knowledge and joy through our work. That's a God-given insight. The knowledge of a bigger perspective of eternal significance. But even more encouragingly... The teacher picks this up further in his, latest, in his later assessments of the overall purposes of life. We looked at this last week. It says in chapter 11, verse 9, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. As we saw last week, This judgment is not something as Christians to be fearful of, but it's a clear indication that we have a God who sees our labour, who takes an interest in our actions and who records our attempts, no matter how feeble, to serve him through what we do. Our work is a means for us to glorify him, our chief end. It's about what we do and how we do it that counts to God. How society judges you is not the important thing. Our job title is not the thing that defines us. Becoming a self-made man or woman through our entrepreneurial skills or our sheer hard work is not the end goal. Self-made people might look impressive, but where will it take them? So here's a few more thoughts on God's view of work as outlined in his word and how we move from being a self-made man or woman to being a God-made man or woman. My job consumes my Monday to Friday and so Saturday tends to be the day when I cram in all the work that needs to be done around the house. Twice a year we cut the hedge right around our house. It's so long you have to tackle it in a few days. I even roped the boys in to help. Each time I try to make it look better and straighter than the year before. But the satisfaction comes from finishing the job. That's, it's mighty. And if you stop and think about it, the most enjoyable kinds of leisure are a kind of work. Work can be a glorious thing. God planned it that way, even before the fall. Not aimless, random activity, but creative, productive doing. When we open the Bible, the first thing we read is God working creation into being. Then he created us in his own image and put us in the world he made. And it says in Genesis 2 verse 15, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God made us to work. He formed our minds to think and our hands to make. He gave us strength, little or great, to be about the business of making more of his creation. And this was all done before the fall, before sin entered the world. Work is a a gift from God, not a curse. And as we move through the Old Testament, we read some great advice to those who work. 
For example, the book of Proverbs even tells us to go to the ant and learn how to work hard and to work smart. And into the New Testament, we find that Jesus was well acquainted uh, with these scriptures and he picks up uh, on many of them in the themes he speaks about. At one point, he tells a parable about a self-made man, perhaps the Steve Jobs of the first century. Luke chapter 12, verse 16 says, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is a man who says to himself, I've done well for myself. Let's take it easy and enjoy what I've stored up. I'm doing it my way. But God says, God says to him, you fool, this night your soul is required of you. Jesus calls us instead to walk his way, not of self-sufficiency, but of receiving everything from his hand. That's a life that is pleasing to God. Jesus gives us meaning for the here and now, but not only that, a hope that death cannot take away from us. Jesus is calling us to a life where he brings meaning to every facet of our lives, including our working lives. That's a God-made life. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus. Here Paul is writing to slaves or bond servants, but this applies to all Christians in our various callings. He tells us not to work for the people that employ us, but we're given an even greater challenge to work for the one who sees us even when our boss doesn't. Our work is not about us. It should point people to the Father, not us. Paul therefore encourages us to work for the Lord. Our motivation for work is driven by our love and our devotion to the Father. Whether we have an unfair or an unjust boss or not, we work hard and joyfully to please the Father, our heavenly Master, the Judge of all. We're working for an audience of one. The teacher in Ecclesiastes discovered that our work can bring a measure of satisfaction. So as an end in itself, work can be to some extent good for us all. But the, bib, the bigger biblical meaning is that our work is a means to an end. It's a, our way of serving the Lord, of putting effort into things that will last for eternity. So as we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, first and foremost, all these things will be added to us. So as we go into another week, as we jump out of bed on a Monday morning or get ready to start another night shift, let's remember that we're doing it for the Lord. Let's be workers who go to work 
utterly dependent on God. May we show integrity by being absolutely and meticulously honest and trustworthy in our jobs, being on time, giving our all, even from home. May we use our God-given skills and talents to be brilliant at what we do and to be a good steward of those skills. As we have influence and opportunity, let us try to shape the ethos of our workplace, but let's be wise and sensitive as we affect change. I pray that you will be a loving employer or employee and that through work, you can serve others and put their interests first. That you will be known as someone who genuinely cares for all your colleagues and that you ultimately point them to the Lord. May we be determined not to let money take our full attention. Remind yourself often that that it is all God's, not ours. We are simply the trustees of it. And finally, may we always give thanks to God for life and health and work and Jesus. Let's not be among the complainers and let our thankfulness to God overflow in a humble spirit of gratitude towards others. There are many things, many more things we could say about glorifying God in the workplace. But these are just a few pointers. The key point is, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or work, do it all to make God look as great as he really is. Make your work work for God. And as we finish, LICC, the the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, uh, who have a lot to say about our working lives, uh, they remind us in this second film that wherever we work and whatever we do, we're on the front line. A place which is full of possibilities to glorify God. Let's use this prayer for ourselves as we enter another working week. And after we sing, and afterwards we will sing, All I Once Held Dear. Good evening, and God bless you in the week ahead. Father, help me do good today. I want to shape this place to your design. Help me see the value my work has to you. May I model your kindness and patience. So that you are recognised. May they know Jesus through my presence. May they see your light as I share mine. Give me your joy and self-control. So that your warmth touches those I meet. Help me to be generous. Quick to put others first. Sharing clearly your love and grace. Give me words to speak about you. And courage to stand for justice and truth. Whatever the day brings. In my humanity, weakness, breakthrough. Let my life overflow with you.